Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time around is PR. And I'm going to say, well, first of all, yes, the concept of PR, and indeed, the concept of propaganda has been around since the beginning of writing, basically, but we'll be talking about it in its more modern form, largely, okay? And I'm going to say, first of all, thank you, Sean. I'm not going to give a surname out or anything like that, but I was in a conversation with this guy called Sean, and he said, you should do an episode on PR and gave me a specific name, which I'm going to tell you. He's seen as the father of PR, or at least modern PR. And thank you, Sean, because I knew a bunch of this stuff, but I didn't actually know about Edward, who I will tell you more about that in a minute. And it allows me to share some amazing stories that I already knew, but I've also got some new ones as well. So, Sean, thank you so much for this. And this is an example of a request, everybody. So here we go. Let's go into it. And, and so I'm going to argue, basically, PR is pop culture. It's simple as that. You know, what unifies every other episode I've ever done? What does a musical song from Sweden got to do with a movie filmed in New Zealand? These things have got nothing to do with each other at all, except they all partly use PR. They're sometimes restructured into PR. This is such a great example. So, whereas normally I talk about some pop culture and sort of say, hey, there's this thing, and then I go through the history of that thing, instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a number of different PR campaigns before I go into the main event of this guy I've already mentioned. So, first of all, I'm going to talk about a very modern bit of PR. So, in 2016, Spotify started doing its Wrapped event. And if you're on Spotify, maybe you're even listening to this on Spotify, you know what I'm talking about. Basically, at a certain point in the year, you get a beautifully designed graphic, in essence, showing you what you've been doing on Spotify. It's genuinely interesting from your perspective. So I didn't realize I spent that much time listening to podcasts or whatever it is, or that seems to be my favorite album of the year, etc. It's showing you subconsciously what you've been doing in terms of your behavior over a year, which we're all going to find interesting. But then it gives you the option to share it on social media, to spread it out. Now, I don't actually use Spotify, but loads of people do. And I notice that 
clearly when it's that time of the year, everybody's putting it onto Twitter. And I mean, that's where I sort of pick it up. You know, great, good for you. And I get to learn a little bit about people's tastes. And it's like, oh, I've been communicating with this person only online. But things like musical choices tell you quite a lot about a person, sometimes about their age as well. And so it's a brilliant form of virality. And things going viral, which is a term that's very modern, particularly in the world of like marketing and advertising and PR. But actually what it is, is about PR. It's about spreading the word, quite literally. I ask you guys to do that for me on this podcast. Please help spread the word about this podcast. So I'm hoping that you will be a bit viral to your followers. And if you do that, you're bigging me up to the people that you know and interact with, which basically spreads my message, which is a form of PR. So we're all doing it all the time hey click subscribe and all that kind of good stuff. i mean please do click subscribe but anytime people are asking you to do that on a youtube channel or whatever this is partly the pr element we've now got the most powerful metadata ai driven tools ever created you know which might well kill us all skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate it becomes self-aware at 2:14 a.m eastern time august 29th in a panic, they try to pull the plug. Skynet fights back. But what they will do in the meanwhile is hopefully get our message out to the most potentially interactive people, and in some cases, the broadest audience possible. So if you like, I've mentioned their marketing, advertising, and PR. I'm not going to turn this into a suddenly a lecture. Hi, welcome to your marketing degree, day one. What is the marketing mix? But okay. There wasn't a lot of marketing going on in, let's say, the year 1066, you know, the Battle of Hastings. We're not going to mention the battle. Basically, imagine your ancestors were probably sitting in a field somewhere on planet Earth. You're unlikely to be a member of the aristocracy wherever we are on planet Earth. So there you are. Your ancestors are in a field, okay? And you've got a few pigs. You've got... Uh, actually, let, let's stick away from pigs so this can be genuinely universal some chickens i love the fact that everybody on planet earth apart from vegetarians and vegans obviously eat chicken chicken is just it's not forbidden in any religion just weird chickens are delicious they obviously did something to annoy god because all god-fearing people will happily eat chicken but some won't eat beef and some won't eat pork etc so there we go you're a bunch of chickens you're also you know growing wheat or whatever some kind of grain and then basically the local ironmonger comes up to you and goes, I'm hungry. And so you go, okay, fine. Well, how about I give you a chicken, but in return, our old family cauldron is was worn out. We need a new family cauldron. So I'll give you a chicken. You give me a cauldron. All fine and dandy. Yeah, great. So no money generally exchanged hands. Currency existed in 1066, but your average peasant wouldn't have had a pile of coins. That's just not a thing. So the barter system worked quite well. But the thing is, when it came to buyers and sellers, is everybody lived in the same town. I know where to go to get bread. I know where to go to get a kettle. And, you know, I know where to go to, I don't know, buy a cow. So all these sorts of things meant that the buyer and sellers were interacting with each other all the time. But then we get the most important, most boring part of your history classes that you did at school, the Industrial Revolution. So I'm not going to bore you to tears with it, but fundamentally and interestingly, 
is this is the first time in humanity where actually those buyer and seller mix were separated and they've become permanently separated. You are likely listening to this, you're not a farmer, but you still need to eat. So what, what do you do? There isn't a farm at the back of your local supermarket. They got to do a hugely complicated supply chain to eventually get you that sandwich you're going to have today, all the component parts of it. So why should I go to that supermarket? How do I know that supermarket even exists? Now that buyer and sellers are separated, we need to kind of glue them back together again. And that's what the marketing mix is. And what the marketing mix is, is basically every trick a company has to say, hello, I'm over here, please buy from me. So that could be literally an advert on TV, 30 second advert saying, ah, your local supermarket giving you sandwiches. It's like, oh, well, I'll be hungry tomorrow. Definitely, I'll check that out. Or you might do a PR campaign where basically people are influencing your local newspaper or local websites, if you like news website, which basically says, oh, there's a new supermarket opening up in town and their sandwiches are delicious. So in other words, it's been written by a third party, an independent, if you like. So if they say the sandwiches are good, then I must eat those sandwiches. Or you could have a direct sales force. I've done a whole episode on sales particularly business to business. So why should I buy your bread, big bread manufacturer? I'm a supermarket. I could go anywhere. Well, our salespeople will show you through various graphs and metrics and proof and case studies of maybe even some samples and bread that you should buy the bread from us rather than the other, our competitor, bread making company. So direct sales force, PR, marketing, above the line, below the line. There's this long list. Very few people use all of them. But companies are dumb if they only ever use one of them because not everybody gets influenced by the same kind of marketing all the time. We're trying to find ways to sort of reach out to as many bars as possible to bring them in. That's the point of the marketing mix. And that is a problem created by industrialization because even the poor people in the 1800s in factories still needed to eat and were actually earning some money. So where do I go to spend the food for those legendary sandwiches? I'm glad I stopped with sandwiches rather than something else weirder because we can all relate to sandwiches. Apart from those people who are gluten intolerant, but then again, you can also get gluten-free bread, but I, I digress. Just trying to be woke here, okay, people? Right, anyway, so the point here is that with virality, that's just the new version. And if you get it right, it can be amazing how just one person with a really clever tweet that might only have 160 followers suddenly can get thousands of people picking up on it. They just said the right thing at the right time and off it goes. However, most virality by the 2020s is actually created by people paying for people to start spreading it, sponsored content, that kind of stuff. So it's not quite as innocent as it used to be. So that's one example of a really successful PR campaign. Spotify telling you what you've been doing all year leads to you telling everybody, look what I've been doing on Spotify, 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 and that hopefully gets some more people getting onto Spotify. Then let's look at a brilliant campaign. I absolutely love this campaign from about six or seven years ago. It's from the always range of feminine hygiene products. It was called hashtag like a girl. And what it did was it showed how even women are biased to women. And this really blew my mind because they, they basically asked grown women to do things like, can you run like a girl? And they flap their arms around. They kind of do it half-heartedly and they kind of look silly. 
and then they actually get a 10 year old girl to run as fast as she can and does she sort of like slap around and blah, blah, blah? no not at all she at 10 years old she does her weekly gymnastics or whatever you know she she runs she runs as fast and as hard as she can and she looks exactly like a guy running because there's all this horrible baggage that is dumped on women so as you're coming into maturity as from girl to woman obviously your menstrual cycle is going to start kicking in and so if you're going to have a spokesperson for all of this always feminine hygiene products is absolutely perfect to try and do this and actually having a hashtag associated with it like a girl it then starts with negative commentations of like a girl but then talking about all these success stories you know female pioneers in their various areas of expertise these women from history and stuff like that brilliant way of targeting exactly the people who are going to be wanting to buy your product in the first place now there are other feminine hygiene products available but always is a brand that absolutely connected with something like that so spotify one's kind of harmless the always one is kind of noble use of pr but allow me to tell you about some PR campaigns from the early 1920s where we're getting into the Wild West. And I, I mean, not in terms of time frame, but in terms of we're going to start making stuff up and we're only going to get more of this, by the way. So clearly something like a diamond ring is very expensive. And if you went back 500 years, nobody could afford diamonds, certainly not your average peasant. OK, but question for you. How far back do you think the concept of an engagement ring goes? I have proposed that we should get married. You are now my betrothed. And the standard thing to do nowadays is I will give you a diamond ring. Now, let's forget about the diamond for a moment. How far back do you think the engagement ring goes? We have examples of literally Hittite rings not diamond rings but rings and we've got examples of roman rings and so you know the the concept of a ring goes back literally thousands of years but what do you think put it on pause have a think don't just listen to it and then go oh, yeah, i knew that because it's really interesting if you just write down write down your answer and then listen to to the answer and it's like well, did you genuinely know because this is something else that pr is good at it's kind of about tricking you thinking that i know what you're going to do next we'll talk lots more about that in a bit so the actual answer is they actually happened at the same time. So basically, if the year is, let's say, 1800 and you've, you've just become engaged, then the girl wouldn't expect anything. You know, she's just like, OK, fine. Well, when's the wedding? Now, on the wedding day, if you are wealthy enough, you might indeed give them a ring. The reason why you end up putting it on your second finger in on your left hand side, full disclosure, I actually had to look down at my hand to double check that. So sorry about that. And it is there, still there for the record. The reason why it's there is because in the Middle Ages, there was a theory that there was a vein that ran from that finger all the way up your arm straight to your heart. Now, this has been proven to be utter bunk by various medical dissections and things like that. But it's still to this day what we do. You could argue that that's a bit of PR as well. Let's stick it on your love finger, even though that finger is no different to any of your other fingers and it's got nothing to do with the heart, really, or no direct connection, quite literally. What happened was that this is where we get a bit dark for the first time, that diamonds. Diamonds started being mass produced in South Africa in terms of being mined very much at the end of the 19th century. Diamonds have existed, obviously, in the crust of the earth for millions, if not billions of years. 
But the thing is, it is, after all, just crystallized carbon. But whether human beings have dug them out, I mean, there, there have been diamonds earlier than the 19th century. But in terms of getting at them with industrial mining processes, it was a company called De Beers in South Africa that basically started to bring them out at a commercial level. No longer are they only in the crowns of state by the monarchs of Europe. Now you can stick one on your finger. And basically, De Beers needed to get people used to this. So what do you do? And so from very early on, the concept of a diamond is forever. Diamonds are forever. And let's face it, diamond is basically one of the hardest substances known to mankind. It's also one of the most transparent. It's more transparent than glass, which is just an amazing fact. Diamonds are just amazing. All right. So anyway, point is De Beers is producing loads of them. Right now, there are various warehouses and safe houses around the world, very much not going to know where they are, which are full of diamonds. Because if De Beers put out onto the market every diamond they mine, the value would drop. Literally, there are some laboratories who've been able to crush carbon into the crystalline state, i.e. a diamond. So you can get laboratory-made diamonds, where basically De Beers says, well, you know, they're not as good. Yeah, they are. They're exactly the same. And in fact, because you're doing it under laboratory conditions, there'll be no inclusions, no like tiny little cracks, no ways to dampen down the transparency and sparkle of a diamond. So the point is, how do we sell them? So this whole campaign came out, both advertising and PR, where the idea was that if you're a proper upstanding guy, you need to get the girl a diamond ring. But then how much should you spend on it? So this is a question for you. How much should you spend on a diamond ring? Engagement ring. Think about that again. Perhaps pause this, write down your answer. So if you wrote down a month's salary, that's the first campaign that came out. And diamond rings sold like hotcakes. The only reason for this was nothing to do with trying to improve the relationships between husband and wife or anything like that. Instead, it was just for a diamond company, which has various fingers in colonialism and all kinds of racial biases and things like that, which is all kinds of problematic. They're not quite blood diamonds, but they're not far off. So yeah, all of that is something that's connected to diamonds. There we go. And so even though I've told you that, you still probably have some diamond rings and, and such like. So one month salary for one diamond ring, they sold like hotcakes. And it went so well and sales spiked so hard that basically the people behind the advertising campaign went, shall we do three months? And indeed, I know people say either that a diamond ring should be either the value of one month salary or three month salary. And it's the three month salary that was the second campaign, which again sold like hotcakes. And it is considered the most successful advertising, marketing, PR campaign, call it what you want, ever. Because here's the thing, it changed society. And even though I have, and I've done this when I've done my day job, I've told this story, and then I've asked everybody in the room who is still possibly could get married, I went, now that you know this story, and you know it's basically just for De Beers to make more money out of diamonds, do you still want a diamond engagement ring? And everybody goes, well, yeah. It's become part of our culture. Pop culture, if you like. And the argument about 
diamonds are forever is because they don't want you to resell the diamonds because as soon as you do you realize they're not a very good investment because unlike gold you can literally make diamonds and there are more diamonds than we actually need in the world particularly for jewelry so they have a terrible resell value so the idea is you hold on to it forever because then after that millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It becomes a family heirloom or what have you. That is the third example of a PR campaign, and we're going to get grubby again, but this isn't going to be the grubbiest I'm probably going to get in this episode. We're going to talk about shaving. I love this story. So, if we're going back to, let's say, the 1850s, if a man needed a shave, he would have used one of those cutthroat razors, and indeed, you probably would have had a shave when you had a haircut. This is, again, a reason why men had beards in the 1800s. And it wasn't until just into the 1900s that we get Gillette inventing the safety razor, which is that little handle. We've now got a razor blade inside a rectangle, like in a box at the top of it, at right angles to the handle. The way that if you wet shave today, as opposed to electric razors, it's the way you shave today. It's just exactly what in it has changed over time. How many blades, etc. Lubricating strip, etc. The first blade shaves you close. The second blade shaves you closer still. The third blade sets up your internet banking. Suddenly there was a way for men to safely shave at home. And sales went through the roof. But after a while they leveled out because, you know... Every man only has one face. So what do we do? And there was a campaign in America that basically was aimed at that completely untapped market, women. And basically the campaign back in the, again in the 1920s said, the ladies of Paris are, are shaving their legs. And this was news to basically the women of Paris who, like all women up until this point throughout the whole of history, let all everything hairy be hairy, okay? We are mammals, we are all fundamentally covered in hair. But basically this campaign 
convinced the women of America to shave their armpit hair and their leg hair, and it was just to basically sell more razor blades. So when we get things like, you know, the feminine razor blade and Venus and things like that, which you can buy in the supermarket right now, it's basically a male razor blade just with a pink handle because girls like pink because that's how reductive the marketing can be in that marketplace. But again, now that I've told you it's just a way for razor blade manufacturers to sell more razor blades, does that mean that the ladies listening to this episode are going to let it all start growing out again? No, because it's now become one of these beauty myths that women kind of have to be smooth. Indeed, I've, I've heard some comments about basically, from the eyebrows down, everything's gone. Everything underneath the eyebrows, every all hair has been scraped off the body. It's like, you know, if, if you don't want to, don't do it, you know, just you be you. But unfortunately, there are all these pressures nowadays to try and conform and sort of like standards of beauty and all that horrible stuff. And this was basically created cynically to sell more razor blades about a hundred years ago. Wow. Right, so it's safe to say that there is some issues with PR, which allows me to introduce to you one of my new favorite people in history, Edward Bernays. Now, Edward Bernays is, I think, the epitome of genius, because genius has no morality behind it. It just means you're smart. It doesn't necessarily mean you're good smart or bad smart. And so, yeah, I'm calling him a genius. And the other amazing thing about Edward Bernays is he was born in 1891. So clearly, he was part of all these PR campaigns and activities happening in the 1920s. But here's the thing, he died in 1995. He was over a hundred years old. He had seen what PR had done through pretty much the whole of the 20th century, and he knew that he was responsible for so much of it as a concept. It means he was still alive when I was working for the publishing company, where my very first job was on, well, I don't want to get too technical here, but technically it was selling the recruitment in the back of two magazines. And basically, my publisher, um, the publishing company that I was a part of at that point, had three magazines that cover everything I've just mentioned and why I already know some of these stories. One of them's called Campaign, which is the definitive magazine for advertising in Britain. Also, Marketing Magazine, that has a head-to-head competitor called Marketing Week and another publishing company, where, ironically, I've worked on both brands over my lifetime. So that's all to do with the overarching marketing. And then there's another magazine called PR Week. So clearly, that's about PR. And that one, I've got a good friend. He worked on that for like 10, 12 years, something like that. So... At the time when I was aware that PR Week was a thing, at the time when I, in theory, could have been flicking through marketing or campaign or PR Week, then so could Edward Bernays, at least for about six months before he passed away in 1995. That kind of blows my mind. He was born in Austria. The whole family moved very quickly away from Austria in the 1890s to America. So Edward very much sounded American, went to American school, he had no childhood memories of Austria, so he is considered American. And what was interesting is when he did die in 1995, he was given loads of obituaries that basically referred to him as the father of PR. Now, again, I want to be quite clear on this, 
bigging up somebody like Ramesses II after the Battle of Kadesh, we can literally see over his very long reign, let's call it three and a half thousand years ago, we can literally see the story getting more and more exaggerated until by, basically by the time of his death or thereabouts, he's in essence a god amongst men on the battlefield. That's PR. You know, trying to force a certain image, trying to control the image that people have of you is what public relations, your relationship with the public is all about. So it's nothing new. And indeed, during the Roman era and the Greek era, there were arguments like, I'm more democratic than that guy over there. So this is why you should trust me in the Civil War, because I've got your best interest, because honestly, honestly, I'm the good guy. And look at all the bad things that other person's done. Every time I've mentioned in the past about negative stories around some kind of person in power, particularly women in power, that's a bit of PR. Let's slander them by making them out to be promiscuous or a drunkard or something like that. We always have to be careful because we need to see what the other side say. Now, if one person says that this king was a complete drunk and the other, the other person says they were a teetotaler, they are mutually exclusive. It's either one or the other, or it might be somewhere in the middle where they like the occasional tipple. So where do we go? So we need more evidence or we just have to shrug and go, don't know about him. Just absolutely does go before Edward Bernays. But allow me to give you the name of three of his books that he wrote. He did write more than this. But in 1923, so a hundred years ago, he wrote Crystallizing Public Opinion. So really, you can see he's thinking long and hard about how to get a message out to the masses. And indeed, in 1928, he writes a book called Propaganda. Now, again, propaganda had been around for a long time. And basically, he's the one who gives it that name, propaganda. I just absolutely love that. And if you want a definition of what propaganda is, it's communication to influence an audience to further an agenda. Now, as I said, it's, it's always there in history, but he's the one to actually give it that name. So 23, we get crystallizing public opinion. 28, we get propaganda. And then in 1945, we get literally public relations. So he's the one who gives these processes a name. And he did so much during his his career. It's just fascinating. So first of all, I mentioned he's come from he's come from Austria and basically Sigmund Freud is his technically double uncle, which means he's sort of like he's an uncle on both sides of the family. Okay, that's a pretty shallow family tree. But anyway, the point is clearly there was a lot of interest in psychology in the family and Bernays absolutely didn't shy away from that. What's interesting is when he graduated from university in America, he did a degree in agriculture, which is completely different, completely off the scales there. And there's no farmers in his family whatsoever. And then after doing the degree in agriculture, he then went on to immediately move into journalism. Why? You know, if you've been learning about crops, what made you move into... I mean, why do the agriculture bit? It just seems you would have saved a whole lot of time if you'd just done a degree in psychology or journalism or English literature or something like that. But no, that's the weird quirk in Edward's life, all right? So that's something that, that happened there. And then obviously through journalism and today in the modern world, 
a lot of PR people do start in journalism. Now, this is slowly changing because, you know, we've now got like online influencers and things like that. But again, when I first started my career, if you wanted to get your message out, you'd have to get it out through a major media network. So how do you do that? You need to convince the editors out there of newspapers, magazines, and even to editors on TV. What makes the news each day is a decision by the news editor. Because you can't put everything in the news, and some things of news are more important than others, so there is somebody in the background who may have conscious or unconscious biases putting them in order. So if I understand that thinking, if I understand from a journalistic perspective what a good story is, then I'm able to then come up to you and go, the company I represent have got this new product, and it's a really exciting story because... And then you can start fitting it into all the sweet spots, all the sort of hot buttons that a person would absolutely want to have an article on. So why do PR? Why not just run a bunch of adverts? Because the other irony about this is human beings ourselves. You, I may be hammering the PR people, but the reality is, sorry to tell you this, but we're fundamentally hypocrites. We do not trust a brand we have never heard of. But we don't trust advertising because we all know it's telling us a sort of distorted image of this thing, whatever it may be. So, yeah, we're kind of cautious about that. So PR gets in there by dealing with the journalists. And so nobody's actually promoting the product, but they're going to talk about the product. Perhaps the most common version of PR that you are familiar with every single week is movie reviews, because those in most cases, occasionally this doesn't happen. Sometimes the studios do not have a free screening for the reviewers, but that's usually a sign the movie's garbage anyway, or they know that the reviewers will absolutely hate it. But generally, they give these reviewers a chance to see the movie for free so that they can then give their views. And usually there's a few drinks involved as well. I mean, it's very mild kind of bribery, but if you come in and we give you some food, give you some drinks, sit you down, watch the movie and you get to see it for free, you're probably going to feel slightly more well-disposed towards it. I mean, there are a number of films where it's sort of like, you know, that was a waste of my money. But of course, if you're reviewing it for free, you might just be, you'll never think that because it didn't cost you anything in the first place. So, PR is out there to try and garner goodwill towards it. Propaganda, if you like, is more to state level. And boy, did Edward do both of those things. So, to give you an idea, another sort of like accolade to him, Life magazine, at the end of the 20th century, named him one of the 100 most influential Americans of the 20th century. You know, he's in the same list as John F. Kennedy and, and you know, Robert Oppenheimer and, and people like that. That's how important Edward Bernays was. And you could therefore argue that PR is kind of like a, an American science, in a way. So some of these you're going to think, that's all right. And other of these are going to go, no. And it's like, yep, here we go. So he managed to convince America that bacon and eggs was specifically an American breakfast, which today Americans think that eggs and bacon are the cornerstone of Americanness. The reality is 200 years ago, Americans ate all kinds of things for breakfast, but he managed to distill that into an American ideal. He also came up with the idea that disposable cups are more sanitary than any other type of cup because he was working for a disposable cup company at that time. Clever and technically true, I suppose. But that's obviously not helping the environment in any way. I love this story. He, he gets into politics. All kinds of politicians will have some sort of PR agency, image agency, 
trying to project a certain thing. You're not tracking very well with this group. So let's get you in front of that group and make you likable to that kind of group. And I love this story. Calvin Coolidge, a notoriously gruff president, got him on to try and make him more likable. And basically, Edward Bernays convinced him because he was never going to like laugh and dance and joke and things like that. He was not that kind of guy, but got him out into the into the White House lawn a bit more to make him sort of like around gardening and sort of soften his edges a little bit. And it kind of worked because the New York Times ran a genuine article which was headlined, President Nearly Laughs. So look, you can only work with what you've got, I suppose. Then we get to cigarettes. And this is where Edward Bernays goes to a whole other level of genius, be that evil or, or otherwise, okay? So he tried to make smoking a feminist issue. He called it, I love this one, he referred to cigarettes for women as torches of freedom. This is your independence that's being sort of demonstrated by you smoking. You're a young independent woman, you go for it. And when he was working with Lucky Strikes, he even tailored it into beauty, pointing out that cigarettes can kind of suppress your hunger a little bit. And so basically the argument was, why don't you smoke rather than eat? Then you get to remain thin, which keeps you attractive, and therefore you'll get your man. And oh boy, would that not be a campaign in 2023. But genuinely, that was a campaign for Lucky Strikes. I also feel obliged to point out at this point that he didn't smoke. His wife did, and he tried multiple times to try and get her to quit, but he himself did not smoke. One of the main ways that he was able to do all of this is he used third parties a lot. Because obviously, after a while, he was getting a bit of a reputation. So if Edward Bernays was in the room, everyone knows that this is kind of a PR trick. So he would start using third parties, an independent person between Edward's plan and the journalists. And some people could say, well, isn't that kind of deception? And his argument always was, well, these people can say and do what they want. I'm not controlling them. I'm paying them handsomely, but they chose to take the money. So... This kind of thing about presentation today is a problem in all kinds of politics. You know, I'm coming from this group, we'll pay you money if you're either against or pro whatever we're particularly on in terms of these sort of pressure groups. But it comes to a whole new level when it comes to Guatemala, because he was basically brought onto the, the fruit board of America, in essence, and he was trying to convince Americans to eat bananas. And he pointed out, quite rightly, that they're nutritious and lovely. But he also realized that he needed to get a positive image about where bananas come from, because they're obviously not American, and Americans like to buy American stuff. So he started to work literally with the Guatemalan country, which is a big producer of bananas, which led to him getting involved in the sort of like the political scene. And ultimately, it was deemed by America. We're in the 1950s now, by the way, 1954. The CIA carry out a coup, which Edward Bernays helps run this coup. He does a level of psyops, psychological operations, where basically he drops into the local newspapers this idea that defeat for the local military is inevitable, which it absolutely wasn't. But hey, if you keep repeating a lie often enough, you'll start believing it. And also he controlled all the news coming from Guatemala into America, which wasn't hard. I mean, Guatemala was not the epicenter of interest to the average American, but basically made sure that what's happening's good, bad people leaving, and don't forget to eat those nutritious bananas. So, wow. Sean, again, thank you so much for sharing the name Edward Bernays. 
He has been a fascinating character. I hope you have enjoyed this episode as well. And that's the world of PR for you. Watch out for it in the future because we get it all the time. We do get propaganda. It tends nowadays to mean more like wartime. Think about the message that both Russia is trying to push out and Ukraine's trying to push out during the current conflict. But also, you know, just because it's propaganda doesn't mean it's not true as well. There's that element as that's element well. But you are always trying to manage the message. But obviously, in terms of commercial side of things, yeah, it's happening right now. You probably might have seen some kind of advert or promotion or viral retweet or something on social media on your way to clicking on this podcast. So PR is everywhere. Thanks very much for listening. And as always, another episode coming soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.